Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, it's a joy to welcome Linnea and to welcome all kids into our family. We're grateful that you are building something remarkable here at Bethany. You've been inviting people into your family, into the home that Jesus is building, that he is each day. And we are one part of that. We are one brick in this beautiful thing that you're making. So we pray that this time would be used for the building up of your people, for beckoning people far from you into the story of Jesus. And we ask for your faithfulness to pour out on our lives so that we might see your goodness in the land of the living. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Once again, it's great to see all of you this morning. I want to tell you a little history lesson. You can see some of these pictures of our history right out in the lobby. There are pictures of the city of Kirkland. Kirkland is named for Peter Kirk. He was an entrepreneur. He came to Kirkland with a dream, with a vision. This was kind of a crazy dream, I think. His vision was that Kirkland would become the Pittsburgh of the West Coast. And everybody goes, ew. Because I'm sorry, I haven't been to Pittsburgh, but I don't need to. Like, it's, it's okay. His vision was that Pittsburgh, the commerce, the trade, the emphasis on, in, on industry and manufacturing would take root in Kirkland. That's what he saw. While Peter Kirk was trying to build this vision over here in Kirkland, there was a group of people over in Ballard in Seattle who were pursuing a different vision. They were forming this church called Bethany 101 years ago. And what they were doing was starting out with a group of people they knew they wanted to reach, that they longed to reach for the sake of Jesus. And at that time, there was a Native American population in Ballard that needed help, that needed people to come beside them and encourage them. They were kind of isolated. And so this hearty group of people got together, formed this church called Bethany, and said, that's our mission. We're going to go after those folks. Well, if you turn the clock forward a little bit, Kirkland did not become like Pittsburgh, and I think we're all grateful for that. Bethany became a church that gained in influence and gained in membership all throughout the years. And about seven years ago, this church, after a move out of Ballard and a move to Green Lake, started to plant churches around the Seattle area with the vision of reaching people in their local contexts. So reach the people of West Seattle in ways that make sense to the people of West Seattle. Reach the people of the East Side in ways that make sense to the people of the East Side. And the things that remain the same are so beautiful. This church that started in Ballard, that's now come this way, we've gathered together to hear the scriptures taught, we've gathered together to sing, to celebrate when babies come into our congregation, to pray together, to be at the table together. These things have remained the same. So what was true in Ballard 101 years ago became true just a few years ago in a living room here on the east side. That's where we started. We started as a house church. And very quickly, we outgrew the house, and we came here. And the preaching, and the sacraments, and the prayers, and the songs, they continue. And so we are part of that great tradition today. And this begs the question, what are we about? If we know a little bit of our history, we can say a little bit more about what we're about. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next four weeks. And the image I want us to have is that we're a home. Now, I want you to picture your home right now. You can close your eyes. Put yourself in your home. It may be a great home that you've longed for, that you've saved your pennies for, and now you're there. You finally made it. Or maybe it's a home in a neighborhood where the neighborhood around you has changed so much, but your home has kind of stayed the same. Maybe you long for the ability to own a home 
or to find a place to rent that just has a little bit more space for you. Whatever your home is, just hold that picture in your head for just a minute. And think about how you feel when you come home. Think about how you can walk through the door and you put down your bag and you can come into the kitchen and you can get something to eat. These are all the elements of a home, and yet a home is not just a place. If you back the camera lens up a little bit, you know that a home is more than four walls and a roof. You know that your home is the people who live there with you. This network of relationships. If you've got roommates, you didn't really get to choose them, maybe. If you've got a family, that's who you're with. And that is your home, more so than any physical place. You can open your eyes now. Home is tough. Home is messy because it involves people. Home takes work. Home, it takes us committing to one another in ways that are costly, that are sacrificial. Home is where we are safe. It is a place of great joy and excitement and fellowship. And our home is what we have even now in the relationships around us, the people sitting around you. They may be members of your family. You may be in a small group with them. They may live down the street from you. However you are connected to the people around you, you are part of a home right now. And that is what we are about at Bethany. Home is where we gather, grow, go, and give. Those are the things that mark us as a community. And our ultimate home is found in one person. It is found in Jesus Christ, the relationship we have with him. And everything else comes out from the top of being with him, finding our home in him. When we gather together, we don't just come home, we make something. Anytime you gather your friends at your house for a dinner party, anytime you gather to go watch a baseball game, you're actually making something. You're making a form of fellowship, or you're making a meal, or you're making new connections. The people who gathered together as Bethany 101 years ago maybe didn't know this, but they were making something that was going to change the city because of how they got together in their home. And we are making something that I very much believe is changing the cities that we're connected to around the east side. We are a church that is in the pursuit of Jesus' rescue mission for the whole world, for all who will call on his name, and it starts with gathering. And so today we're going to talk about what it means to gather, why we do this, and what we find, what we make when we come together. So if Jesus Christ is my true home, is where I belong, in relationship with him, then I need to gather with others to experience his truth, to experience his joy, and to find myself in the midst of his transformation. So let's talk about each of those things. Why do we get together? Why are we here? We're here because the Seahawks don't play till one o'clock, right? <laughs> and they only have one 10 o'clock game this year, which every pastor in Seattle is like, thank you, Jesus. What a gift. I want to invite you to pick up your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter four with me. Kelly read this for us, but this is where we're going to start today. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread throughout all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. And when he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. So what's happening here? Right before this moment, Jesus has had an incredible spiritual victory. Major, major, major thing happening in his life. He goes out into the wilderness, he's tempted by the devil, and he says no. 
He remains faithful. He abides in what he's been called to do. The scriptures say he comes back to his hometown filled with the Spirit. The way I tend to think about this is a friend of mine likes to talk about flow. When you're in the flow of your work, when you're doing stuff and stuff's just working, right? You just, that phone call was awesome and you sent this email and you got a great response and you landed that client, you're feeling the flow. Jesus is feeling the flow right now. He's coming back to Jerusalem, or excuse me, to Galilee, and he is in the middle of what the Spirit is doing. He's working, he's serving other people, and it says this in verse 16, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day as was his custom. The word custom there, if you go back and look at the Greek language, is etha, which can be traced to our English word for ethic, our ethic. Our ethics are the way that we express something that we value. Whatever you value, you express through this wider system of behaviors and beliefs called your ethic. So in other words, if we value fairness, then our ethic dictates that everybody we run into, everybody, is treated with a level of respect and kindness that is on par with the next person. Jesus' ethic, his value in this moment, and what carried him through that moment where he was in temptation, was that he wanted to be obedient to the Father. He wanted to roll up and do what God told him to do. Only work for the Father. Only serve the Father. He wanted to be who God wanted him to be. And he said this to his disciples multiple times in the Gospels. I have no will but my own. I only do what the Father has sent me to do. So if that is his ethic, how does he get at it? What is the behavior that he needs in order to live into that? To do this, he was with the people in his community. He was with the people who maybe knew him, maybe didn't. And they were there together as Jews in the synagogue to study the scriptures, to pray, and to be together in such a way that they could be transformed. Why do we gather together? Simple answer, because Jesus did it. Turn to your neighbor and say, because Jesus did it. Because Jesus did it. That's why we gather, because Jesus did it. If he's the head of the church, then the things that he does we in the church should do as well. And this is what we've done at Bethany. This is what we've done when we were in Ballard reaching Native Americans. It's what we've done when we started as a house church, and it's what we're continuing to do now. We're meeting together because Jesus did it. And if you're a type A person, you can check the box and say, I did it this week. All right. But it can't stop there. Just because we have showed up here today, that's not enough. We need to do it. We need to study it. We need to value it getting together, gathering together, because our ethic demands it. But there are so many, so many, for whom this place would be, feel so foreign. And what we are doing together would just feel like, well, why, why? Like, what? And it is our calling as a church to be able to say to folks far from God, no, you belong here too. This ethic, this practice that Jesus calls us to, of gathering, of being together in community, of hearing truth, that matters. And it matters no matter where you would say you are in your faith journey. When I went off to college, I had embraced my faith as my own. I kind of took ownership of my faith about a year before I went to college. And so I was pretty new, pretty raw at kind of this whole being a Christian thing. I'd, grow up, I'd grown up around the church, but I wouldn't say I really knew a lot of what that meant. So I went off to college going, okay, this, this faith thing, I really I like this. I want to do this. I want to do this well. This is going to be fun. I also knew that college was a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to go to school. It's a privilege to be able to show up and go to class and learn and grow. And so I kind of had these two ideas in my head. I want to grow in my faith, and I want to be able to use this opportunity to go to college really well. 
Now, one of the best pieces of advice I got for achieving the goal of being a good student was really simple, and maybe you've heard this too, show up for class. I remember a friend of mine from church said to me, hey, you want to know how to succeed in college? Show up for class. And I thought, really? That's an option? I didn't know that. Okay. But what he was telling me was, form your life in such a way that class is kind of non-negotiable. Treat it like work. Show up for class. It turns out that that was one of the biggest pieces to success for me. I went to a huge public university, 500-person lecture classes every single semester, kind of overwhelming. Nobody would have cared if I didn't show up for most of those classes. But it turned out that showing up for class was really vital for me. Why? Because if I show up for class, I might actually know what's going on in the class. If I show up and I take notes, I might actually know what the professor's talking about. If I'm there, I'll hear about it when the test gets moved, or when the reading curriculum changes, or when something happens midstream. So showing up for class helped me achieve one of those things. By gathering with my fellow students, I was able to do something I couldn't have done on my own. I remember being in a friend's dorm room early on in college, kind of learning to practice this, and I was talking to a guy who was playing Xbox. It's always back to Xbox, I swear. And I said, hey, how are classes going for you? And he kind of got this sheepish look on his face. And I said, have you been going to class? And he said, I haven't been to class for six weeks. And he wasn't back the next semester. So be careful, college students, be careful. Another key for me in college, showing up for church. Show up for class, show up for church. Somebody else wise said to me, sleep in on Saturdays. Isn't that great? Use your Saturdays to sleep in, but Sundays, and this presumes that you're part of a church that worships on Sunday mornings like we do, show up for fellowship, show up for being in community with one another. This was the building block for me being able to pursue that other thing, right? I knew I wanted to be a good student and a good steward, and I knew I wanted to grow in my faith, and I connected to an amazing church. And I would say that time that I spent as a part of a church in college showed me the beauty of what God's church can be. It showed me what God's church can do to impact a city, what God's church can do to impact the lives of little kids, of teenagers, of whole families. It was amazing. And so those values were things that I got to live into in college. But guess what? Everything else in college wasn't affirming that value for, me, affirming that value for me. I went to a public school. Nobody's telling you to go to church. And even in private schools, it's like, yeah, go do your thing. It's fine. So then my question for us is, what are the values that are being lifted up by the community around you? What are the values you, would, you might say, or if you were in a conversation with one of your kid's fellow parents or classmates or whatever, and you would just ask them, like, hey, what, what do you guys love to do? What are the things that you really value as a family? What would those values be? And would gathering together on Sundays be a part of that? And I'm asking the question open-handedly because I recognize that there are so many things competing for our time on Sunday mornings. I'm a runner. Before kids, I used to do triathlons. Do you know how many cool things there are on Sunday mornings that I literally can't go do? That's just part of the gig. I get it. For a lot of parents, if you want your kids to engage in sports, say goodbye to Sunday mornings. And I'm not making a judgment on that. I think that's up to every parent to say, in this moment, is God calling us to be his witnesses on the sidelines of my kid's soccer game, which is a value, or is God calling us to be a part of this expression of his body? You can gather, you can be a part of God's church, even during those seasons when you can't be at church a whole lot. But as much as possible, I think we, would, we need to recognize and agree that being here is a value. And for those of you that have been in that moment where you're going, I can't, I've had work, I've had kid stuff, it's okay. 
God is with you as you go to the sidelines and stand in the mud to watch your kids run around a rainy, cold soccer field. You can be his witnesses in those moments. So we gather together, even though there's plenty of other competing interests, because Jesus did it, and we gather together because we need to hear the truth and we need to enact the truth. Romans uh, 10, 17 says this about hearing faith. What does it mean to hear and to have faith? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the word of Christ. Faith comes through what is heard. Everybody that's an auditory learner is so encouraged by that statement. What is heard, what really brings life, though, is the word of Christ, is hearing the scriptures taught, praying, being in community with one another when we hear the truths of the gospel. And the term that Jesus uses for word here, or that Paul uses in Romans, isn't the word that we would often think of if you're familiar with church. It's not logos, it's a different word. It's rhema. And the word rhema can be translated saying or speech or doctrine. Doctrine. Now that's a loaded term for some. Doctrine can mean things that you were taught when you were a kid that they were kind of used to beat you up. Doctrine actually is a good word, and it means things that we learn and know and enact over time to form us in a particular way, and in this case, to form us in the ways of Jesus Christ. Anytime you show up to any church, you need to have a good sense of what that church's doctrine is before you say, no, I want to belong here. And so I just want to offer us a minute to consider that. What is our doctrine at Bethany? It is simple, and it is rooted in history, and it's the Apostles' Creed, and I invite you to hear it with me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead, and he ascended to sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. That is an ancient creed that we believe in at Bethany, and that is what we gather ourselves around when we say, these are the things that are true. There's a lot of stuff we're going to hear in the world that's not true. These are the things that are true. This is what matters to us. And we gather together to remind ourselves of these truths. Yesterday, a handful of us went down to Paradise Baptist Church, a church we've been growing in friendship with uh, down in Rainier Beach, Different church than us, but so filled with the Spirit, wonderful group of people. We went there to be a part of their men's prayer breakfast. And there were about 40 or 50 guys there, and it was an amazing experience. And I got to share a little talk with them about courage. And this is a historically African-American church, so they do this thing called talking, where people actually say stuff to the person that's preaching, like, amen, preach it, let's do this. And so in the front row is a gentleman, and in the middle of one of the things I'm saying, he says, that's right, Jesus matters, say it, Jesus, keep saying Jesus, and I'm like, I will, <laughs> like I totally had this white guy moment of like, oh yeah, you're talking to me, that's right, come on, man, we do this because Jesus told us to, and we do this because we need to be reminded, like that gentleman in the front row was reminding me, you were talking about this because of Jesus, and I don't think I'd forgotten that in the moment, but it sure was good to be reminded of that. It sure is good to be reminded of that. And you are more than welcome to give a hearty amen. Amen. <laughs> now let's talk about joy. We've learned that when we gather, we do so because Jesus did it, because we need to remind ourselves of the truth, live into the truth. So let's talk about something that is created when we gather, and that's joy. 
What do I mean by joy? You got to say the word joy with a smile on your face, right? You can't just, you know, academically dissect joy. If we talk about joy from the dictionary, it's a feeling of happiness that comes from success, from good fortune, or a sense of well-being. In my mind, that doesn't go far enough. Joy is more than a feeling, and when we connect joy to what we are doing here, it only gets bigger and deeper. I got to tell you about a moment of joy I got to experience just a few weeks ago. There was a group of us that went to Puesto del Sol Elementary School in Bellevue, and a handful of you guys were there. This was an amazing experience. We partnered with other churches from across the east side, and we just went into this school. None of our kids go to school there. We went there to bless those teachers and their staff by helping them get ready for the school year. And I got to wander around and kind of see what people are doing. There were over 200 people at this school, a couple of thousand people at all the different schools in the Bellevue School District. And what we were doing was being the hands and feet of Jesus and showing up and helping teachers get ready for the school year, and prepping their classrooms. And it seems very basic, but I married a teacher, and I know how much work it is to get ready for the school year. All of you who are teachers in the room can say, amen, preach it. And we were able to do that because Jesus is there. And we got to encounter Jesus, and I got to walk around and take pictures, and I put a few of them up on our Facebook page, because those were moments of deep joy for me. Because as the pastor of this congregation, as the person responsible for shepherding and leading us and putting vision out in front of us, a vision that I have, a vision that I will lay down my life for, is that we will find schools and underserved peoples right here in our community and we'll say, we will show up for you. We will make this moment in your life just a little bit easier. We will do something that is costly to us, but that makes all the difference in the world for you. We will do that. And I got to see a vision of that at Puesta, and those of you who came got to see it as well. And I want us to do that for schools all across the east side. I can't wait for that to happen. You know why? Because it brings me joy. Because it brings me deep joy. And if you were a part of it, you got to see that joy as well. So when I talk about joy, what do you picture? If you're a parent, Kind of easy, you picture your kids, you picture them doing something great. If you're not a parent, maybe you picture this great moment of success, this great opportunity that you had and you just nailed it, you did it great. We should treasure those moments of joy because they're glimpses of a greater reality that the church is called to express. And that reality is this, God has brought his joy to us in his son, in the fellowship and communion. There it is. There's an amen that we get to receive from him. He has brought his joy to you and to me. And so when we make promises to help Linnea Medawar thrive in the ways of Jesus Christ, we're promising to do that in the ways that are joyful. We're going to show up and teach her Sunday school classes, and we're going to be excited. We're going to be fired up. We're going to have our lesson ready to go. And even if we're not perfect at it, which we won't be, because home, which is what we're building, is messy, we will show up for her and she will have every opportunity to see the joy of Jesus Christ and how we do our life together. That is a vision worth giving your life for. So that little Linnea and little Micah and all the babies that we have dedicated up here have every chance to see the joy of Jesus Christ. And they say, I want that. Are you kidding? I want to be all about that. I want to be a part of community that is like my church. When I go off to college, I want to see that in my life. We want to give them that vision now and give them every reason to keep chasing after that vision, because it's a vision of joy. For those of you in the workplace, you may be familiar with this statistic. Roughly 70% of American workers are dissatisfied with their work. 70%. 
What if the church was a part of the reshaping and renewing of work, where we could show up for work with joy, where we could impart joy to others, where we could say, you know what? This is going to be a really hard project, but man, are we going to celebrate when it's all done. And we're going to do so well by one another on our way to finishing our goal. What if every Christian worker in this room showed up for work tomorrow and erred on the side of joy? Deep joy and satisfaction because work is a gift from God and is a way to reveal the goodness of God. What if we could do that? What kind of tidal shift would that be in our culture, in our work culture? It could be amazing. It could be worth giving your life for. So that's joy. That's why gathering together brings us joy. Now let's talk about transformation. We gather because Jesus told us to, because he did it. We gather to remind ourselves of the truth. We gather to live in joy. And we gather so that we're changed. And this is where we go back to a part of the text that might have sounded a little confusing. Go back to the Luke text with me. Jesus is reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Very important prophet in the history of Israel. Interestingly enough, Jesus is reading something about himself. He's reading a prophecy of Messiah, of someone who's going to come and make everything right. And the way that it breaks out is this. Listen to chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The people of Israel had heard these stories again and again and again, And they were still waiting. They were still waiting for that person to show up and to make everything right again. They were waiting for someone to show up and show them how to do the things the text talks about. The text talks about inviting people to love and serve the poor. Right there. Serve people in less fortunate circumstances than us. Go to the people in prisons who are in captivity, both literally in prison and people who are in prisons of addiction and shame and fear, and greed, and all the things that are trying to destroy us, and trying to destroy our world. Go bring freedom to those people through Jesus. Go to the people who are experiencing blindness and confusion, disordered loves, finding their lives oriented around totally broken things, and to be bearers of this incredible reality of God's freedom to those suffering from oppression. It's a real thing. It really happens around our world. Slavery continues to happen around our world. Injustice continues to happen in our world. Racism continues to happen around our world. And yet the people of God are not supposed to go like, well, somebody else's problem. We're called to be in the thick of it. And we will do this each week here at Bethany. We will pray for this, and we will especially pray for this on the 24th, for that transformation. When you hear a word like this, if you were in the room with Jesus and you heard him reading this, you didn't just sit there and go, oh, that's nice. You do like we're all doing right now, which is checking our hearts and going, I don't think I've ever been to a prison. What if I did? What if I went and saw people who were incarcerated? What if I learned their stories? What if I started, like some of us have, to learn about our criminal justice system and how to be praying for renewal and praying for people who are really, really suffering and struggling in that to find freedom? What if we were to really feel the weight of that, to feel the weight, not just when it hits our news cycle and everybody's buzzing about it, but to feel the weight of how far our races are apart. That's part of what we get to step into with paradise. And it's messy, and it takes a lot of time, but they are so amazing to us, and we get to reciprocate that, and it is a joy, and it is changing us. 
And this is not for us to become some pie-in-the-sky thing that, oh, that's nice that you guys do that. It is changing us because Jesus says it matters. And the transformation that he calls us to is never trendy. It's never something that's just spectacular, that's going to light up the sky with confetti cannons or anything like that. It is a transformational way of life because it reorders our hearts. It reorders our hearts. When we walk out into the world from here, when we go to the grocery store, when we go to Costco, when we go to our places of work, we are presented with rhythms and patterns of life that either build us up or tear us down. They either build up who we are in Jesus Christ, we find our way through those moments, or we just kind of say, okay, well, I guess this is how it has to be. The calling of the church is to go out into the world and say, there's a different way. There's a way of life that is ordered around who Jesus is and what he does. And because we're people, we're never going to do this perfectly. But we're going to go and we're going to show up for work and we're going to care for those who are far from God. We're going to show up at our kids' school and we're going to bring recognition to the fact that every kid deserves to hear about Jesus and deserves to be a part of a school where they can feel safe and where they can feel loved. And the church can be a big part of that. When we gather, we can expect to be transformed because these are the things we have to weigh and consider. These are the things that Jesus thought about when he was bringing this message to that congregation. You know how he finished that message? It's the shortest sermon ever. He just said, today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He told the people gathered in that room, everything you just heard in the book of Isaiah about oppression, about injustice, it's all going away, starting with me. And only Jesus can make that claim. And he's the only one worth following into those moments where we can challenge the systems around us, where we can challenge things that are clearly presenting narratives of injustice and say, nope, it doesn't have to be this way. And so our home, where we gather, grow, go, and give, is where we present these contrary ideas to the rest of the world. And we say, no, life can look like this. And it can look like this because of the Savior. So I want to offer a few next steps to consider. We're going to come to the table in just a moment. And we'll take a minute before we do and we'll prepare our hearts and we'll listen and we'll pray. And as you come forward to receive the bread, to receive the juice through faith in Jesus Christ, remember how he invites us to gather here and to gather here and to gather in our groups. There are so many different ways for God's church to gather. My encouragement is to make gathering a habit. Make it something that if you miss it, it just it feels like, oh, it's just this is strange. Peter Kirk Community Center, our home, they got to say goodbye to us for two weeks every year so they can finish the floors. It feels weird to me that we haven't been here for two weeks. Like it just, it feels like we've kind of been out of a rhythm a little bit. We've been able to do some other cool stuff, but I love being back here together. And I, I want that, not just because it's my job, but I want that in my life always. So make gathering a habit. Serve as you gather. Listen to all the different needs we have around here. We got babies, we got kids in elementary school. We have so many different opportunities to share the gospel with everybody who comes in here. To be a part of that counter formation when people come in and they're welcomed and we're not trying to sell you anything. We just are glad that you're here. You can be a part of that. Come talk to me, talk to Nick, talk to Ken. Let us know how we can help. Finally, and this is tough, but this gathering isn't just for us. This gathering is not just for the people who say, yep, I followed Jesus a long time, I get it, I'm going to keep showing up to church. That's where that part about joy is so critical. Because if we walk out of here a joyful people, a people who are reminded of the incredible 
bountiful love of our Savior, as we remember that at the bounty of the table, we're not going to want to keep that to ourselves. If you've got good news in your life, you share it. You tell people about it. You text your friends about it. Let us be a congregation that looks at the people in our lives and says, there's a seat for you at my church. I want to show you the way home. I want to show you the place of belonging and care that I have found in this incredible group of people. And it's messy, and it's hard, and it's costly, but it is the way to the joy that Jesus has for each of us. So I want to invite the band to join me back on stage, and I want to invite the rest of us to join me in prayer as we come now to Christ's table.